So hello and welcome to the second episode of Talk Local. Uh, today I was joined by Peter Kiefer, who you might know um, from his past as uh, a member of the Baseball Card Exchange, um, but he now owns his own business uh, called Absolute Memorabilia. Uh, he is a guru when it comes to signed memorabilia, and he was somebody I was looking forward to interviewing because, of course, uh, if you're an avid listener, you know I collect some stuff. And uh, it's just a great conversation. We get to hear a little bit about uh, his past stories with athletes, um, some of his uh, specific events like the Bobby Hall signing, the Mike Singletary signing. Uh, we talk about his past and when he was a child and why he, uh, when he was growing up and why he got into memorabilia. Um, and for us, it started, you know, when we're all 35, it starts with that baseball card side of things. So um, he talks a little bit about that. And then uh, we kind of just get into what he's doing um, with Absolute Memorabilia, which is a really cool program. Uh, he's got this consignment thing that is worth, if you're a nonprofit in the area, check that out. He pretty much gives you a list of awesome pieces to put at your charity event to have a silent auction and to sell. Um, trust me when I say he's got awesome stuff. You're talking across the board from Hawks to Bears to Cubs. Um, he's got his hands on everything. Um, and we talk a little bit about the business in this podcast. So if you can, uh, check it out. Um, so this is my conversation with Peter Kiefer. So what got you into memorabilia then? <laughs> well, like most kids, you know, you collect the cards when you're young. So I can remember having stuff from like 1986. I think I actually had like a Warren Moon card I can picture with the 86 tops, green border. Oh yeah, I know exactly which one. And it's the, uh, so is and that the post Jerry Rice rookie card one or is that the same one? Uh, Jerry Rice rookie, same year. Okay, same and year. And Steve Young Steve in Young. there too. Reggie yeah. White, a lot of guys. Oh yeah, yeah, that was a great set. So I remember finding that somewhere, don't even know where it was. I was probably, I don't know, seven or eight. And especially by like when I was nine, I was buying all kinds of packs that I can remember. Upper Deck Football, 1991, just putting together sets. I collected score sets. And actually, the 89 I, score football is legit. That was a little bit before my time. I got in at 90. Okay. So that okay. was not, not nearly as much. <laughs> okay. So how old are you then? So I'm, I'm 35. So. so 35. Okay, cool. Yeah. So we're so around the same perfect. era then. Perfect. Mm -hmm. That's I remember my first real like experience with cards was, I want to say the 90 pro set football. Okay. Because they had all those inserts in it. My grandparent, uh, my, my grandfather in particular was really into cards. So he would go out to like, I think it's Sam's Club even at the point and buy like just dozens of boxes for all those inserts. Because they had the Santa Claus one in there. Yep. They had the uh, Payne Stewart card in there. Payne Stewart. That. Yeah. So, um, so did you focus, so you're talking about a lot of sports. Did you focus on like one sport or did you focus on them all when it came to card collecting? I guess kind of all of them. You know, more focus on baseball and football. Basketball followed. Of course, the Jordan, how do you not? Yeah, yeah. So that happened. Hockey, not nearly as much. I mean, it didn't really take off until the Hawks, I guess, probably about when they got Kane and Taze. Okay. Um, kind of picking up there around 2008, 2009 is when it started to skyrocket. So it started to get into it then. But mostly baseball still is the number one sport. I mean, that's as American as it gets. So I don't think football or basketball is ever going to completely overtake that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think something you mentioned earlier was kind of cool. Your grandfather collected too. Yeah. That's what it was like all the time. You know, my 
mom even collected some so stuff mine, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, dad, grandpa, that was something that brought together a lot of different generations of collecting cards in like the 80s and 90s especially. Oh yeah, I can think some of the greatest moments I had as a child was around baseball cards. My, right. My grand, you know, my dad, my grandpa, he he got really into it, so he was uh hosting card shows around okay. the the mm-hmm. region. So it gave me like a a quick like experience of like sales. Yes. Because I'd hold on to his table while he was doing things and selling the cards. And then on top of that, like I'd collect my own and come up with my box. And then I would be going from table to table and dealer to dealer trading. Yeah. Right. So yes. you'd start with like five cards, end up with 200 and it was a win. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's like we came up in that era, too, which is really cool because we had the the peak of the of all sports. So you had the Jordan era, which was really cool. You mm-hmm. had a lot of football players that were big, like the Emmett Smith rookies in that time period. Yep. Right? Sanders was 89, but it was around that same time. Favre's rookie was there. I remember the stadium club being a big deal. Yep, that 91. Um, and then, but then you had the, the card of our cards when it came to our generation, and it's the 89 Upper Deck Griffey. Yep. Which kind of is responsible. I think I saw it. It's right there. Yep, yep. (laughs) I own that one. Uh, It's one of those that I made sure, like, I don't collect cards as much anymore, but that's one that I'll always have. Because it's like the the symbol of my childhood, you know? Right. Yeah. That's a classic one. I remember, actually, he recreated that for uh, a Macklemore video. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. He looked a little bit older, but, yeah, he based off the 89 Upper Deck card, so it's classic yeah it's one of those everybody has to have when you grew up then so the memorabilia was like your first aspect toward it and then you started going into the baseball cards um what so like how far did you get into that at that point like so you're talking nine ten years old are you just in it are you a fever pitch with the family members that are kind of your bankroll it started to get into that i remember doing card shows all the time with my brother too he was two and a half years older so we would always set up in Highland a lot of times there at the uh, Civic Center, mm-hmm. just doing these shows where it's fifteen dollars a table, and you know we're maybe I'm twelve, he's fourteen, and like you said, you learn so much about I guess just interacting with people and business in a lot of senses. Uh, you're doing trading, buying, selling, all that kind of fun stuff, and I realized actually I started on eBay in 1997. No way! So you're like way ahead of the curve. So, yeah, uh, it was my mom's account, obviously, at that point. <laughs> I can remember sitting at the kitchen table having her write out checks for stuff that I was buying, too. So I was like, I need this, this, and this. Wow, and so then, you had a system. Yep, and yeah. then I would pay her for all of that stuff, because that was before PayPal or any of that kind of stuff, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, so was buying and selling that. Uh, and it's weird, you know, I went to college and grad school and all this stuff, got out of it pretty much. Um, just the way that it was. My brother always stayed in the game. Um, he worked for Baseball Card Exchange and still does. Oh, really? So your brother's still there? Because that's how you and I got to know each other was through the Baseball Card Exchange, I think. Yes. I went in there one random time because I collect Cy Young baseballs, and I think we had just like a random conversation at one point. I don't think we like exchange information or anything, but then um, – I met Farron through the Crossroads Chamber, yep. and she was like, well, I think you and Peter would get along really well, so here's his contact information, hit him up for a meeting, and then we talked for about an hour and a half above all things memorabilia and Pearl Jam. Right. So yes, that's where Pearl we got Jam was in there too. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. so um, that's, really, that's really an awesome story. And then so when did you start getting into, when did that turn into, so if we're talking 97 for eBay, when did that start turning into like a profession for you then? Like is that like when it comes to signed memorabilia and turning a profit on baseball cards? Yeah, you know, things uh, then probably around 2000, actually when I was going off to college is when things really started to kind of hit the 
the wall. Mm -hmm. of there's so much stuff. It's getting so expensive. Uh, not as many people are collecting. You saw a lot of card um, shops close too. So I think that's why maybe part of why I went off to college and then went and tried a few different things. Um, and then actually it took until um, came back and worked for a baseball card exchange in 2000 and gosh, when would that have been? 2013? Oh, I wow. think I finally okay. came, yeah, came back there, started kind of at the beginning of that year. Because uh, you were an Illinois guy until you came to the region, right? And you were living in like, where were you at? What city? Yeah, I was in Warrenville. Warrenville, Illinois, driving okay, out cool. to Cherville. Yep. Yeah, and then so where'd you go to college? So Illinois Wesleyan. Oh, nice. Down nice. in Bloomington. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. That's a good. That's so, a nice area. We spend some time right. there for football. Yeah, so it's a really cool. nice area. Yeah, down we enjoy there. it. A lot going on. Yeah. So then you got out of college. You're starting to do this stuff, and then so where do you start to kind of when do you get back into it like full tilt here? You know, when I think I realized that um, Baseball Card Exchange was doing it right, the, the game had changed. Oh, yeah. um, there was no longer a retail store. They closed in 2002, I believe. Okay. Uh, and was really successful as a company online, um, being able to ship mail order, build a reputation. And the game had just kind of changed, where maybe before you paid $5 for something and sold it for 10 Well, maybe now it's you pay a dollar for something and sell it for $2. Yep. You just kind of have to adjust to it. And also, different things became popular. Uh, we saw a big uh, boom in the memorabilia and autograph industry, um, especially over the past, I'd say, five to ten years. Really? People want something to showcase. People don't really want something they have to put away. They want to put fill their walls yeah. with all of this Guilty. stuff. Guilty. Right. And they want to meet a lot of these players too they want to be able to have that story they want to be able to have pictures a lot of times too because oh, yeah. that's a way you can instantly post it to instagram and be like look i met andrew shaw mm -hmm. or check this out andre dawson was in town something like that and your friends are asking and they're jealous so that's really uh, maybe part of uh, that vanity almost oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's now getting people into the whole arena of memorabilia and collecting. Well, it's crazy because then uh, thinking about it like that, then you add like the childhood memories to it as well. So it's like this whole like romanticism that yeah. people are dealing with all the time, you know, and I know that's one of the reasons why like I have the Griffey 89 upper deck card and um, I have the so-so in the White Sox signature up there because it's like, it just re reminds me of this time period where everything, I guess, everything I was ingesting was such on an emotional high. Mm -hmm. it, it, was, it was making an impact on me and you don't realize it when it's happening, but it's like, now it's more rare that that really happens, but it's awesome to kind of, I kind of live vicariously through the memorabilia a little, in a way, especially with the Pearl Jam posters, because I can see those. And I'm like, yeah, I remember those shows in particular, right. <laughs> you know, right. so that's really cool. Um, so just kind of, I want to rewind a little bit because you got, you've got like a, I don't always have a chance and I don't think people always get the chance to really hear um, the perspective of that sports card industry mm -hmm. from a, from a professional, someone who yeah. does it. So like going back to the mid nineties, I know we've heard that it was over manufacturing of cards and it was just too many choices. Mm -hmm. So what, what leads to the downfall there? Like what, what, what starts it? Well, what I think is kind of interesting is almost that um, nostalgia that you were talking about. Uh, a lot of people collected cards 1950s. That's when things started to really get popular. Mm -hmm. And you've heard story after story of I went into the Air Force and my mom threw out all my cards. 
or I went off to get a job, I came back, and Grandpa had, he put them out in the street or something like that. Yep. So people remember having all these cards, these Mickey Mantles, these Sandy Koufax, Roberto Clemente's. Oh, yeah. And they never, they didn't have them anymore. Then things started to kind of, you know, once those people grew up, got to kind of that middle-aged mark in the 80s, they thought, man, you know, I wish I could go back and get that stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. And that, and now they're starting to have some money at that point too. They're, do, they're doing better, so they say, "Let's go back out and buy some of this stuff." That's true because at eighty, we'll talk. We'll say ninety. You're talking uh, that, uh, and you're, if you're born in nineteen fifty, that you're at forty, and most right. people are probably at fifty-five, fifty-six at that point of like birth date, right? So you're looking at those thirty-five-year-olds. You're looking right. at us right now who are seeing the the allure of getting into the game. From yes. a collectible standpoint. So it's they cool. They can picture that 1957 Tops Mickey Mantle. Yeah. They're like, this is exactly what it is, that Brooks Robinson card. Yeah. And they're like, I remember having this rookie card. Oh, yeah. And then they kind of went out and started to buy that. So these things that used to be, you know, trash became all of a sudden worth something. Yeah. And then a lot of those collectors wanted them in more pristine condition, just like anything, you know, whether you're collecting coins or art, whatever it might be, the nicer that it is, the more pristine, people are going to pay a premium for it. Hmm. So that kind of led to, I think, what happened a lot in the 80s. And then, of course, you know, businesses started to kind of take note of this. So you've got Tops, uh, you've got Fleer, you've got yep. Leaf, Don Russ, mm-hmm. and more players coming into the game. Upper Deck in 1989. That's a big one. Score Stadium Club. in 1988. And all these companies said, look, they're selling, so we're just going to print as many as we can, because why not, mm-hmm. if it's selling? And then a lot of those people who were collecting those cards said, well, wow, you know what, if this happened to all this stuff that's you know now 30, 40 years old, well, let me buy all this stuff now and wait 30, 40 years, yeah, and I'll be yeah. a millionaire. Mm-hmm. So people were literally buying just cases and oh, yeah. cases of these yep. cards to store and hoping that I guess they could retire at some point. Well, as you can imagine, as I always say, if you make something to be collectible, it's not going to be collectible because you just are producing too much of it and you're forcing it onto people. So I don't think it's that as, it's not going to be as popular when you're doing it that way. Plus, it's just oversaturated. They literally were producing billions of cards a year. And Unbelievable. Like, late 80s early 90s so that was a time period of when it was popular but you knew it was going to have to hit a wall at some point oh yeah and then it's funny because if you you know you got that 89 griffey sitting out there and that's a hundred dollars at the time right that's Mm -hmm. a big time item and everyone who's collecting is looking at that and then you're looking at the was it the 53 mantle is that the uh, big one? 52 tops. 52 tops. So you got the 52 tops. That's like the icon of cards. Mm-hmm. He's still alive at that point, right? Yes. So he's making the round circuit wise. He's yep. signing everything. Yes. Right? And I'm sure that creates a whole other market of forgeries, which we're going to talk about later. Yes. <laughs> right? Yes. Right? Yes. So you've got this whole like like this universe exploding, right? You've got all the icons you need to do it. So what makes it burst? Is it So at what point does it start to be... This is getting too expensive. There's not enough options, or like, where does it start to go? You know, it was, I want to say 1997, it's when Upper Deck first tried this, and they actually took a Babe Ruth um, game used baseball bat 
Okay. And cut it up and put it into cards. So you've got the implementation of like game used gear here. Yes. And it's the it's the prize of the prize. Yes. Right. Yes. It's Babe Ruth. It's the guy. It's the guy. And people yep. were like, "How could you do this? That's crazy. What are you thinking?" And that started a new trend. Uh, a lot more uh, autographs too being inserts and mm-hmm. inserted into the packs. And at that point, people kind of switched gears a little bit from like, I don't want this base common card. I want this rare autograph or memorabilia card or whatever it might be. Um, But as you can imagine, that drives prices up also at that point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And when you start making too many different products, when it's not just tops, maybe Fleer, Donruss, you're getting into all of this stuff. Tops is producing 20 different products a year. It's funny you say that. Yeah. Gets to be too much. I think, and you're just losing a lot of people that maybe even like me who are growing up now, yeah. going off to college, and I think you heard it too when people were younger. They were like, oh, I collected cards so I was about 16, and then I started thinking about girls. <laughs> so. Yeah, the inevitable <laughs> girls conversation. That's yeah. funny. And then, you know, at that point, you don't really collect cards anymore. That's so true, man, because they such they so saturated the market. I mean, I'm thinking just Tops alone. It said like Tops Crone, and it had that. Was it? Did they have like an SFX one or something like that? And then there was like the Tops. The Tops seemed like they had six different sets coming out a year. Yeah, six different versions, and I, it has actually much hasn't changed in that market, right? Currently, they have a ton still. There is a ton. Um, all kinds of different sets coming out now. Um, but as I said, it's still popular with the memorabilia cards of something that's been cut up, that's been game used. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're talking about the autographs. Almost every product that comes out now has that in there. Yep. And Tops will, I mean, if we count it up, Tops probably produces maybe f- even 50 different products a year Unbelievable. now um, in all different formats. Yep. And they're um, the only one licensed to make uh, Major League Baseball cards. So if you want to use team logos or anything like that, they're the only company that can do that. Wow. So I, I have seen that. So what's the newer? So there's an old company. I want to say it's either Donruss or Fleer that they got like they got really cool imagery, but they have no team logos on it. So you're saying Tops is the only one who has like the rights to the the, the, the logos for Major League Baseball. Yes. Insane how they can do that. That's and crazy. I, Personally, I think that, like you said, that's insane. I I don't even get how that's legal, actually. Um, Because what was interesting is there was actually a court case um, around 1980-81 where Topps was signing contracts with individual players, uh, which didn't allow competitors into the market. Wow. So actually Fleer and Don Russ sued, um, and that's why 1981 is when you first have Fleer and Don Russ baseball cards. Because they came into the market because at that point the courts ruled that no you can't sign something um, exclusive because this then that's essentially a monopoly and there needs to be fair competition so now i'm not sure exactly what changed (laughs) from that to today Um, but i do think that it leads to um, you're just getting a product that maybe more expensive than it needs to be because there isn't the competition the quality isn't um, as high and I think you're also running into a lot of times just poor customer service because essentially a company like Tops, who's the only one who can produce it with logos, is saying, will you buy our products or you yeah, buy, don't buy nothing, anything. I guess. Yeah, don't buy anything. And that Tops Chrome set's really important too. It seems to be like, and that's that's what I kind of wanted to go back to too. So we're, we talked about the failure here, but we got, 
um, early 2000s. So what starts to bring the card industry back? Is it so we we expanded the universe, we've retracted, and now it's starting to build back up? I mean, is it is it around the LeBron James era of his rookie card that starts to expand the universe back up, or is it grading? Does grading you know, bring it back? Yeah. It's hard to say, too, just like we kind of talked about, and I can't really pinpoint to when things went down or why they necessarily did, kind of the failure of the industry or just the the dip. Um, But you do have grading came about, and, I mean, that was starting to pick up really around, I think, even 97, 98. Okay, so it was in that 90s era still. Get there. Was um, Beckett the leader of that one for the most part? That was PSA. So that was PSA. So they were yeah. the, they were the forefronter. So yeah, they were at the forefront. Um, Beckett came into the market kind of late, actually, for grading cards. Um, PSA was the industry leader back then and still is today um, hmm. on vintage cards, especially because uh, I think you do see different um, people in the marketplace. There are some big spenders out there that really want those vintage cards in the absolute best condition possible isn't dimitri young like a huge baseball card collector yes he used to be oh so he's out he got out yeah no way believe it or not yeah wow i wonder what made him do that because psa actually certified a lot of cards and graded them and it's part of the dimitri young collection so they put that label on the card actually oh wow okay that's crazy so yeah he was one of the former baseball players that was into it i know right now too it's kind of interesting um brad ziegler um, relief uh, relief pitcher side armor Diamondbacks now yeah. he's he's a big collector of cards too um, actually Pat Nisek too from uh, he's with the Rockies right now he's a huge autograph fan yep I heard that he'll go out and he will get all the players in the league to sign different things for him that he collects and um, I've heard he'll even trade with just fans oh that's cool he puts out his address too and says look send me whatever you want me to sign because he understands it oh that's so. awesome so you're talking about the memorabilia jumping back into things uh we're talking like the last five to ten years you said so you've had a chance to kind of see it all right yes. and you've been you, and this is what's re- why i'm so excited to have you here because you've seen the inside of the world right yeah. you've, you've uh you've held autograph signings for people so can you tell us a little bit about that universe a little bit, like uh, what it's, what it's kind of like, especially with the autograph signings in particular? Yeah, you know, I think one of the first things that comes to mind is about that whole pulling back the curtain thing. You, you don't really want to see what's behind there. You yeah, don't want to yeah. see what's on the inside because it's just like any business. You're going to come across um, certain things that maybe you don't quite agree with or certain people that are less than honest and you're a little bit taken aback by some of that, especially when you're coming in um, as, as a younger kid and more idealistic and thinking, okay, this is nah, not how it's going to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you meet some people or find some things out. Um, but then that's when you can come in there and find people who are very successful in, it, in, in the industry who do it right. And I think that's one of the things that Steve Hart with Baseball Card Exchange has always done. He's been upfront, honest with people, um, fair and people have really understood that and that's built his reputation because he's been doing this he opened baseball card exchange um, in 1990 and he's been doing this ever since in the industry and he's really really well respected and people will call him up for his opinion or to sell him things yeah because they know again that you're getting an honest person and you see that you can be successful in the business by doing that um, so that's where I think I drew a lot of insp- inspiration from, knowing that, look, I don't have to maybe follow the 
path of some of these other guys that I'm meeting, but I can follow this honest, true path and being fair with people oh, yeah. and just interacting with your customers. And if you're buying a collection from somebody, also being upfront and honest with them. So seeing it, I mean, like you said, being on the inside um, of the autograph signings, that's one of the cooler pieces for me. Um, I can remember the, the very first signing um, actually did was, I think it's a really cool story. Okay. <laughs> um, we were going to open up the retail store for baseball card exchange again. Uh, I want to say back in, it was 2014. And, you know, I wanted to do something big, have this huge grand opening, because at that time, we were in a 13,000 square foot building. Oh, it's huge. In Cherville. Yeah. And I wanted people to come out and know about this. Mm-hmm. So I actually wrote a letter um, to Mike Ditka and uh, Bobby Hull, um, just asking them if they'd be interested in coming out for a grand opening and what we could maybe do to come out come up with a deal. About a month later, I get a phone call, like a Wednesday morning at 7.30. I'm like, who is this? So like a 312 number. Answer the phone, and it, on the other end, it's, hello, Peter, this is Bobby Hull, Chicago Blackhawks. How are you doing? And I was like, really? <laughs> just a phone call. Yeah. He's Random like, phone call, Bobby Hall. The golden jet is on the other yeah. yeah. Like, I was reading your letter, and uh, yeah, I was interested um, in talking to you about coming out there for this grand opening event. No way. So we talked for about five minutes. He kind of let me know about what his, how his pricing usually works, what it would cost to get him out there, connected me with his agent. And uh, next thing I know, we, um, a couple months later, had the kickoff with him there. Um, actually, I contacted Jim Cornelison nice. too, um, with that voice, National Anthem. Oh, yeah. Did I he thought. sing it while he was there? So, yep. No way. I actually had him sing it for the grand opening. <laughs> oh, so we had a few hundred people <laughs> gathered around, and he belted it out. And awesome. it was kind of weird, too, because people didn't know if they should clap, cheer, or whatever. Yeah, yeah so yeah. it's like, come on, let's go. I'm like, this is how we do it in Chicago. That's go ahead. Oh, yeah. So it was such a, a cool event in a way to really kick it off. But for me to get a chance to meet some of these people and oh, interact yeah. and see, like, wow, this is great. And, of course, meeting Bobby Hull, I know a lot of people have. He's loves his fans such a great guy so much fun to really talk and interact with jim Cornelison that day too he was terrific like he was just the nicest guy in the world so easy to work with and i actually got to know him a little bit and kind of kept in touch with him a little oh, bit throughout cool. the years so you know that was the start and next thing i know that kind of gave me an introduction to an agent who represented tony esposito so I was like, okay, let's bring him in. So I think three months later, we brought him into the store for an autograph signing. And that was hugely successful at the time, too, because Northwest Indiana was now getting a chance to meet some of these guys. Oh, yeah, there's nothing like that here. There was just nothing like it. Right. It didn't exist. People were surprised that these guys were coming out. Yep. And uh, yes, it does cost a lot of money, but it was great to be able to give that opportunity for these people um, to come in and then get to know the store too a little bit. Oh yeah. So, so how does so how does a deal like that work? I feel like that's always something that's very interesting. So like say a guy like Bob Gibson, mm-hmm. are you paying him an upfront fee and then kind of collecting on the back end through tickets, or is it just kind of like uh, whatever you sell ticket wise, he just kind of gets a percentage? You know, typically, um, I guess there's a few different ways to negotiate this, and different players, different agents, or different ways. Um, however, 
they typically want a guarantee of yeah, some I sort. Imagine. Because um, they don't want to rely on you promoting the event, yeah. <laughs> doing a poor job, and people not showing up, yeah, and they're not yeah. going to get paid much. So there are some athletes who will simply say, okay, look, I'm going to be at your store, your location, for two hours. Here's the flat fee. Basically, I'll do whatever you want for those two hours. <laughs> so if it's signed autographs, cool. they'll sign the autographs. If it's for um, the customers then um, that are coming through, that have purchased tickets, opportunity to meet them, they'll do that. If it's stuff that we're getting signed um, in the back so we can sell that later, um, they'll do that. Sometimes, too, it's even just taking the picture with the player. Oh, yeah, because you got there's those VIP packages as well that you got like a couple pieces of autograph memorabilia, you got a picture with them, and it's really cool, yeah. Right, yeah, just trying to get the whole package of as many things as you can to really experience it and interact. Crazy. I, I went to the Canerco signing. Um, okay. Because I, as I showed you earlier, I collect those 05 World Series. I got a, for those listening at home, I got a, uh, I always hate telling these stories because I'm, I'm literally, I do this out of my house. So I feel like all I'm doing is giving an inventory for people to steal my shit. Right. So I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like always trying to like maybe, maybe not talk is. about this. Yeah. But I'm collecting the team of the White Sox uh, from 05 signed on stuff. So I really needed Canerico. And I've already got them on some other items, but I didn't have them on that. So okay. I went in there and it is a madhouse. When, on those signing days, it is insane. You got to park like eight blocks down. It's like a, a cattle call. You're stuck in that spot, which is huge normally. It is yeah. real tight during those days, you know. Yes. And then you start to you start to like get sent to the back, and it's a cool thing. I think the only thing that so as a collector, I think the only thing that I've been I haven't been as excited about over time is meeting the guys. Right, and it's one of those things. That Martin, who was a guest on our show last week, he was talking about how like he asked me who my ideal guest would be if it would be Eddie Vedder, and I honestly like I don't think I'd even want to unless we were on the same plane, because of meeting guys like Bob Gibson and meeting guys like even Canerco, who's like super nice. Yeah, it's just you've got three seconds with these guys, and it's like, what do you even say? You know, right? Um, I did have one really bad experience. Uh, Steve Stone. I've heard stories about oh, him. Oh, dude, it I was have. the worst experience. It almost turned me off of actually meeting these guys in person. I, I was at Sox Festival places. I collect the Cy okay. Young baseballs. He won it in 80. So I have the 1980 LA Dodgers authentic baseball from the All-Star game. Okay. Yes. So we're talking a 50 to $60 piece of memorabilia mm-hmm. as is. Yeah. I'm thinking I get him to sign that. Now I've got that ball. I got Because Steve Stone's, what, a $35 autograph on a baseball? He thinks... He's more important than he well, is. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty Clear, sure. <laughs> Clearly. Um, and since he went from the Cubs broadcasting a Sox, I, game over. That's for me, was just like, meh. Yeah, I can imagine. And then he spent too much fan. time with, I'm a Cub fan. Yeah. Yes. He yeah. spent too much time with Hawk and then started to get so negative and everything and just complain. And I'm like, okay. You had enough. You <laughs> then had I enough heard all the stories about people meeting oh. Steve Stone. I've never met him myself. But I just thought, okay, so I go. It seems so, like somebody I don't really need to meet. No, yeah, you're absolutely right on with that. I go up there, and so he's signing autographs at a fan convention, right? Should be pretty easy. That's what he's there for. I'm paid. A, <laughs> I paid admission to do that, right? <laughs> yeah. And so I see him, and uh, he was slotted to go from like seven to seven thirty. Um, I wanted to go grab a different autograph beforehand. I get there because it was the, it was it was uh, 2015 because it was the 05 10 year anniversary. Okay. That's the year. Yeah. So I get up there. 
And uh, it's I get there around 7.15. Not ex- I was hoping that there would, wouldn't be much of a line. Well, there was no one there. So he's sitting there, and he ends his autograph session 15 minutes early. He's done with it. Really? So now he's walking toward me, and now I'm like, dude, I really needed this guy's autograph. He's not signing the rest of the weekend. So I, I capture him. I'm like, hey, Steve. I'm like, uh, I got. would you mind signing one more baseball? And he's like, ah, you know, giving me the business. I'm like, just, you know, and I'm like, please, just like one autograph. He's like, sure. Right? So yeah. now I'm already given the impression that I'm bothering him. So that's one thing. So when he's technically supposed to be there for he's supposed to be there for the fans and <laughs> yeah. for the fifteen more minutes, right? Yeah. So I now I'm fumbling through my backpack and now I've got that baseball. It's at the bottom. I wasn't ready for it. So I, I go. Mean. I'm getting in there. I'm digging in. I get it out of the case. I give it to him, and you could tell like he must have thought that I was like some kind of dealer trying to make a dollar. He printed his name on the ball. And I'm like, well, is that how Steve Stone signs this? Like, I don't know. And he didn't even sign. You know how most guys, when you get the, like the the really nice balls, the memorabilia balls, like the All-Star Games, the Cy Youngs, the Gold Glove winners, like the, yeah. most of those guys will sign underneath the logo. Yes. And not on the sweet spot because they it's more of a display piece. Because people want to know, yeah. What it's it was. It's not just a regular Right. He signed baseball. it on the sweet spot. Mm. And so he, he, he printed on the sweet spot. So then I'm like, what the hell? So I go back. I'm like, maybe he just prints his name. I don't know. I went down to the memorabilia booth and like he was signing everything. And it's like, what an asshole. Yeah. He ruined a $50 baseball. All he had right? to do was say no. Why did he? You know? I know. I don't, don't Brutal. understand. Brutal. In cases like that, that's strange. Because I know nowadays it has gotten to be such a big industry where people will wait outside. Oh, yeah. And they will bother these players to find out their oh, flights, their hotels, um, and just not give them even a chance to breathe. And a lot of times it's the same guys, so players start to recognize this. Mm-hmm. And, y- you know, I, I guess I'm kind of torn where it's like I feel right. the players owe it to the fans, but there is that point where these people are crossing the line. And I have nothing against people getting an autograph and then selling it or reselling it. I mean, that seems to me a lot of these players are making millions of dollars, of course. A lot of the people who are getting autographs and then reselling them. Yeah, why not, right? You know, I don't I don't think those people are driving, you know, Cadillacs or anything like that <laughs> that are waiting outside and doing that. So yeah. they're, they're providing a service in a way. There's people who maybe don't have access to Bryce Harper and they want to buy an autograph. So that gives a chance for them to do that. But when those people start to just rip those players and they're yelling at them, they're Ugh. calling them names or swearing whatever it might be because somebody doesn't sign that day that's that's unacceptable Mm -hmm. and that starts to get to these players oh i could imagine because they're human beings right so like i know it's easy to forget that sometimes and i'm sure they see a side of it that's really ugly yes it's a nasty side of it whether it's the autograph seekers whether it's the women on the road at certain points, whether it's the agents, whether it's the lawyers, I'm sure they can see a real nasty side of it. So I definitely relate to it, you know? And I, right. I think that's one of the reasons why I've kind of avoided meeting guys in person. Mm-hmm. I think it's why, since those kind of moments, because it's, I feel weird. It's a weird relationship. It's a battle between myself. That's why I just like buying the stuff and I know it's legit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? I know, there is that different way. You know, I've yeah. always had great experiences though. Like the people that I've worked with, cool. um, the agents, typically are the ones that mm, the bad cop yeah that makes sense. they kind of do that whereas the players i've interacted with most of them i just great like they really love to do it they're there um to interact with the fans uh of course it is extra income for them they do appreciate that but they're coming out and 
you know, like I said, I was surprised. You start to meet these guys, oh, yeah. and they're just regular people. Yeah, super cool. You know, you meet Andrew Shaw, and you find out that, I mean, he's smaller than me, even, <laughs> yeah. which is just crazy. But he was a great guy. Like, he was cool with us guys in the back when he was signing autographs. And then he's going out, and he's interacting with um, his female fans, which he loves and they love, of course. He was great with the kids that were there, too. And that's the kind of memories that I like to hold on to and try oh, to yeah, forget yeah, those yeah. experiences. Because uh, the only, I guess, probably the the most difficult guest was uh, Mike Singletary. Really? And it, not that he was rude or anything or disrespectful. It was just the fact that he didn't really talk much or didn't really interact. He was just kind of there. And you could tell he was doing his job and that was it. Mm. So Makes that sense. wasn't as much fun, but you know, don't focus on that one. It's yeah. like when I got to meet Ric Flair in person and you see him wooing back at, you know, customers and fans that are in the store, like that's, that's pretty awesome. Hell yeah, man. <laughs> so he was there. Ric Flair was there. Yes. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. There was one that I tried that I wanted to do something a little different too. I'm like, this is a wrestling icon. Oh you yeah. Know, he's one of the not? top guys out there. I'm like. Everybody knows Ric Flair, even if you're not a wrestling fan. And it was actually really successful. We did really well with that one at Baseball Card Exchange. Oh, that's cool. So then, so then you and uh, so we're talking about Baseball Card Exchange opening 13, 14 in that area. And then, so now you left, right? So now you are on, you, yes. you own Absolute Memorabilia. Correct. And right now it's only an online store for the most part, right? I mean, you do some yes. commerce person to person, but from a storefront. Yes, from the storefront, it is um, based online. eBay, of course, has been something that always gives me access to just tons of different customers um, all across the uh, country and across the world, too, shipping internationally. Oh, yeah. I was looking at your eBay stuff, and it's just the endless amount of just, like, memorabilia that people can check on. It's really cool, from cards to signed stuff. Um, I know we talked before. It's like I'd love to get in a situation where we can get people to, like, have you check out their stuff. It'd yeah. be really cool and video that'd yeah, be awesome. Love to do that. We'll I actually to... worked with um, a piece of the game oh, before. Okay, yeah. and that's the that's the for those who don't know, that's a TV show, right? And that was on was that Comcast or WGN? Uh, it was on Comcast Sportsnet. WGN Comcast Sportsnet. was running um, uh, episodes past year, and it looks like they're going to pick up episodes for this year too. Awesome. Yeah, it's a really so. cool thing. It's like Pawn Stars, but for sports like, in a way. Yeah, right? it's like Pawn Stars meets Antique Roadshow kind of. Cool. And you've been on that, right? So, yes, I was an evaluator on there for a couple (laughs) pieces. Nice. So that's Uh, always fun. That's one of the things I love to do is uh, inform people on what they have. Oh, yeah. Even if it's not something that I'm interested in purchasing and uh, maybe it's not worth much, but at least letting people know. And if it is something that's worth a lot of money, well, then there they go. Yeah, they just, yeah. They just made a bunch of money and had no idea what they had. And I'm sure there's a lot of that. I got a buddy of mine who just found a uh, 1992 Stanley, like uh, Tom Barossa or Tom Barrasso, goalie oh, yes. for the Pittsburgh uh, Penguins. Yep. His stick signed by the entire team. Really? And I was looking at him like, there's Lemieux, there's Yager, because you start to kind of look it on the uh, up, you know, what their autographs yeah. look like. And it's like, yep, that's where they are. So it'd be, I wonder what that would be. That'd be an awesome piece to even start. Yeah, that would be really, really cool. I don't even know re- what you get Especially with, with those players. And if it's a game used stick, too. Oof, that it is, looked like it. It looked like there was tape on it. Huh. And I don't know, did they win a cup or anything in 92? Yeah, they beat the Hawks. Is that? Okay. That's the, yeah, in four games, that was a total sweep. 
There you go. I told you I wasn't a big hockey fan. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not either. I, I think it's funny because like uh, we're talking about baseball cards, and that was kind of like our segue into our childhood of being so into sports. Um, I, it's like for me, it's a couple things. It's that. It's uh, meeting. For me, it was the for, for memorabilia. It was I met Bobby, but my uncle took me to. I was thinking I was in third or fourth grade. My uncle took me to Wrigley Field. Um, and it was the Pirates, early 90s Pirates. Okay. Uh, we were out in front of it, and uh, Barry Bond, uh, the, the Pittsburgh Pirates bus just pulls up. Yeah. Right? So now they're still walking into the stadium. Um, so I, I'm seeing Bonds, I'm seeing Bonilla, I'm seeing Van Slyke. And it's, right. uh, it was awesome. You know, Jose <laughs> Lean, Jim Leland, it was really cool. And so that really opened me up to that game. And then I think it was like a year later, I went to County Stadium in Milwaukee. My dad took me for a White Sox Brewers series. Mm-hmm. Milwaukee's in the AL still at that point. And then Sammy Sosa signed a bunch of crap for me. So he was like, my, became my favorite player of all time. Nice. Yeah, I, Bonds was a bad experience on that day too. He, uh, told him that he told me to catch him after the game. Like it was just that easy. <laughs> right. Yeah, but Boney signed, so he was really cool. Um, long story short. but And then the other aspect of it was video games. So I got into a lot of video games at that time too. So NHLPA 93 was like my jam. So that's <laughs> yeah. how I got to be like so into hockey. Okay. You know, yep. and so when you're – and we grew up, you know, like my dad was a huge Hawks fan. So when the Hawks were in the Stanley Cup playoffs at that point, we are – we're because the sports channel I think made it paid at, at of all things. So you had to pay to watch those games, right? Yes. So it was like an event to host those. It was like a fight night kind mm-hmm. of, right? So it was kind of cool. And so that's where I kind of got into it. But I started like what, – what, what fascinates me about the memorabilia stuff is that – you go to these things and there's just so much and like where do you kind of start right mm-hmm. so what you do essentially is you collect a bunch of stuff you're you take the personal out of it it's all business for you right or no do you got a lot you got a big collection of stuff you know i always look at it as i i owned it at one point okay so, so it's like that's it's kind of my collection yeah it comes okay. through Okay. Because it is difficult to do that. I mean, if you want to run a successful business, it's hard to just collect all that stuff. <laughs> it just Could you imagine? Work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so you start doing that, and you start collecting all this stuff, and then so how do you? So like, and just so people know, the stuff you have is like. If you think of the top end stuff, he has it. He can get it. You're, you could probably get your hands on pretty much anything, right? Yeah, that was one of the great things of working with Baseball Card Exchange and then d- doing all of these signings with these players. I have access then to the agents, the dealers, and promoters who can, um, on demand, if I need some sort of autograph or something, I can go to them when they're going to have a signing or whether they have extra inventory, and that's where I can get it. Gotcha. So what I really started to do with... Um, what I wanted to really get going with my company, Absolute Memorabilia, was focusing on working more with nonprofit organizations. Uh, that's something that, uh, to be honest, I didn't even realize that this was really a thing until uh, maybe about three years ago, uh, where going to an event, so say you have a gala um, for Habitat for Humanity, maybe there's a golf outing, mm-hmm. there's something together that's a fundraiser. Um, looking the, the region to, knows to golf outings. That's what we these. do. We do right. golf outings well. Yeah. There's a lot of that. <laughs> and, and you look at these organizations, and they're trying to go out and get donations. And it is difficult to get donations a lot of times. And oh, yeah. Companies can only give so much. And also, when you're writing a lot of the big teams, the Cubs, the Bears, the White Sox, they can't necessarily donate all of these items to every single organization that requests. 
and it's difficult to get some of the premium guys. So the Blackhawks don't traditionally send out Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taze, things like that. Um, you're going to be getting some of the, you know, be honest, the lower tier guys. Um, or the Cubs might send out hitting coach, pitching coach signed autographs. But I was at some events and I'm like, wow, there's all of this awesome stuff. Like there's this signed jerseys, yeah. these framed uh, memorabilia pieces, this huge display, these baseballs, these footballs, jerseys. And that's when I realized that there are companies out there that actually work with the nonprofits for to provide them items um, at a cost. Mm -hmm. So how it works is actually on consignment where the nonprofit isn't, um, they're not putting their neck out there for the item. So what they do is, um, and what my company does, Absolute Memorabilia, is provides the items at a set cost to the organization. So for example, if there is um, assigned Paul Canerico baseball, the cost for the which you brought today, which you brought which today, is it is right here, there. yeah. Yes, and setting it up for them to where here's your cost. Your cost is eighty five dollars for this item. You can start the minimum bid. I always tell you to start it over that mm -hmm. um, price. So if there's a silent auction, live auction, start it at a hundred dollars. If it gets bid on right away, the organization will raise fifteen dollars. Now, hopefully, there is. A bidding war. People maybe been consuming alcohol, <laughs> competing against their um, maybe coworkers, sure. friends, yeah. or competitors in the industry, and they've got to outbid this person. Yep. Next thing you know, it goes for three hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. Well, the organization now is just going to pay the eighty-five dollars to Absolute Memorabilia and keeps the other two hundred and fifteen as funds raised. So the really cool thing about all of this is they're getting items that people really want and are really gonna bid on, instead of having maybe a mishmash of things or people donating what they have kind of left over. Hmm. Or the companies- Yeah, no, right. I mean, they will sometimes literally give you a calendar with coupons <laughs> as a donation. It's hard to raise a lot of funds for <laughs> the Habitat for Humanity when you have something like that. Yeah, there's just nothing that you can make money on. And there, it's, funny because, it's funny you do that because when I was at Lakeshore, we used to do an auction. And we used to go around, and it was a TV auction. Maybe some people may remember it. But um, we would go out and we would, like for like four months, we would go out and we would just like literally hound people for stuff yes right so we're hounding everywhere and it was like well we're talking sign memorabilia now but it would be like gift cards it would be weekend stays it would be all types of stuff and then you hope that the mission of what you do is going to be enough to get people to donate the problem is is that you're kind of limited by your connections yes. right and so what we found out and i remember the last time we did it uh i remember meeting my my supervisor at the time was roger wexelberg and he's a big he's a big baseball guy he collects yep. a lot of stuff um, and so we were talking we're like, man, I wish there was a way that we could get like more stuff, right? Like cooler stuff. Mm -hmm. And so we did a little research and I just started reaching out to a lot of like the known dealers in, in the area, like the, like the Steiners and like the Schwartz, you know? And so I reached out to Schwartz, Schwartz got back to me right away and they're like, Hey, we do this consignment program that we literally give you a list of stuff that you may want to choose. And it was like a Chevy Chase, Caddyshack flag signed. Right. It was like uh, some Hulk Hogan memorabilia, I think was still in there at the time. Uh, Dick, uh, you know, all bears, all bulls, all, all cubs, socks, uh, across the board, hawks. And uh, we, so we got the chance to pick, I think it was like 15 or 20 items. Mm -hmm. And it was the same kind of concept. It was like, you pick the cons, you pick the item, and then it starts at a minimum bid. And then that, if you sell it, 
the 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 dealer gets the minimum. Yep. And then you get to keep everything over the top of it. If it doesn't sell, you just give it back. Exactly. Right. That's so, exactly how it works. Yeah. And so like it was an awesome thing, and it took off so much time and effort from our plates. And nonprofits, like, they don't have the time and resources to dedicate right. to it. They're all wearing five million hats. So if it's to me, it's like a complete no-brainer, especially if you're going through the process. So it's brilliant that you're doing that and making it known, I think. Yeah, it um, really is one of those things where there is literally no risk. None. I know sometimes when I explain that to people, it's kind of like, well, what's the catch? Where or what? And I'm like, you know, look, what it is is simply I set the prices at um, – somewhere where I know I can run a company that's successful, where I can support myself and have a successful business. Um, So that's the base price. But Mm -hmm. I want you guys to sell this for as much as possible because that means you're raising more and more money. And like you said, it's, it's the ease of use because it's there. It's convenient where you want to get as many donations as you can, but there's only so much time. There's only so much hounding. And to really complement that uh, would be taking the consignment items and having it ready. You know, we're yep. talking about the items that are framed up really nice. So you're taking an eight by ten photo, and it's framed in there with a nameplate. Oh, You've yeah. got um, the the nice uh, um, borders, adding some extra photos in there, high quality. Taking baseballs, putting them into display cases with nameplates. Same thing with hockey pucks, jerseys, maybe all displayed up. That's the kind of stuff that a lot of people who are attending these events really want, because they may be the casual memorabilia collector. Oh yeah. They want to be able to take it and say, "Look, it's ready to go. I can hang this photo right on my." Don't have to do wall. anything else. Like that's one of the things. Like I know I've been to a million golf outings and. Uh, luncheons and dinners and uh, especially ones that had silent auctions and it's I mean I'm not going to say it's a buzzkill because it's not a buzzkill it's like it's different but it's definitely it adds value if there's a lot of cool memorabilia yes I can remember it's funny because like if you when now that we're talking about it I could remember like specific events because of how cool the memorabilia was right and one of those in particular was that uh that wine tasting in Sand Creek in Chesterton okay. it's a big to do and there's a lot of people there but they had like memorabilia on top of memorabilia and it was just incredible and they had like Felix Hernandez signed baseballs well that was the other thing too is like a lot of people have like some kind of connection in some of these c- communities like Lloyd McClendon's from the area, yeah, right. John Maley's from the area, so you can do these couple guys you can reach out to that you're probably six degrees of separation from if you really try. Um, and you know, it it just takes so you can still get those items, but it's like the same time. It's like, man, why even try to work at it? I, I think it's brilliant. I really do, and I didn't yeah. realize it was even a, a function until that when I, when I was forced with it. Yeah, and it's interesting that you mentioned. Like I've had friends tell me that too. Like this. Like, you know, event that I went to was so cool. Like, they had all this awesome memorabilia out there. And it really does just kind of take the event to a whole nother level um, as a fundraiser. And people remember that. At least for the people that care about memorabilia. Like, the guys... Yeah. Most most men are sports fans. Most right. men. and there's a you know there's a good don't get me wrong there's a lot of women who are sports fans too but it's just not the same level right so yeah. uh, it's just a really cool thing to like see that stuff because you just don't I mean how many how many days does people get a chance to like walk into a memorabilia store and see that I, I don't right know. really like that's you know. where I see a lot of this going too I mean same thing I have friends tell me oh I bought this Marian Hosa signed stick from you know an event and I was like hmm. Well, you know, it was for the Humane Society. And I'm like, okay, I get it. Like, you know, obviously, what I do for a living. 
So instead of buying it for me, you were buying it from the Humane Society because you wanted it to go to a good cause. And I absolutely get it. So that's why I thought working with nonprofits is more of a way to go than having oh, yeah. the store because I can do good along with it and really hit more of the, uh, I guess, target market for the collecting and memorabilia, which is more of the casual consumer and not the hardcore collector that needs something signed oh, yeah. in that exact spot with that exact color of pen exact or marker. Inscription. Those kinds of things. Yeah, and you know what? They're, they're, those people exist, and, I, and they'll find you. Right. right. Like, I know for myself, like, I... You get through the game a lot, and then for me, with the Cy Young, it's like I try to get the Cy Young inscription of the years they have. Mm -hmm. I try to get the blue pen because it lasts longer, apparently. Yep. And then you got to go through the authentication process. So when you're, when you're collecting on your own, it, that creates its own challenges as well. It's one of the reasons why I'm kind of not about meeting the guys, too, because I know what the steps are ahead after that. Yeah. You know? It's like, so then like you know, PSA DNA, they're, like, they're at a lot of the events. So it's really easy to pay like the extra 10 bucks. Yeah, and they put the sticker on it, and then it's like, okay, well, it's, it's but it's like you know, it, you know how it is, and like, so I think one of the things that people have a weird like impression of, of memorabilia is, you know, the level of forgeries. Yes. Right. So there's people like it feels like once a year you hear of someone in the country going down because of a big time. So like. Um, you talk about how you deal directly with the players' agents, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, it's pretty much up to them to do what they do, right? Because yeah. I mean, I think I think Eli Manning just got in trouble this year, right, for forging stuff for Steiner. Yeah. So That's like he got something in that I'm surprised isn't a bigger story. Oh, I know it but got just like washed under, right? So it was weird. It's allegations, but it sounds like there's quite a bit of evidence there <laughs> yeah, that yeah. Eli Manning was faking his game used items. Yeah. He was keeping the real stuff. And having um, others actually put some dirt on his jersey and things like that. And, um, yeah, it was a, a deal with Steiner, who's a very, very reputable company. He's been doing this for a long time. Oh, yeah. They had no idea. Yep. So they're the ones who are actually being uh, taken advantage of. And then that's being passed on to the consumer Crazy. on the other end. So, yeah, uh, I'm really surprised at that story. Uh, but then again, you think about it. That's that's one athlete out of all. Of oh this. yeah, I'm not I'm not saying that. And, it's like, and you know you you know you can tell who like the forgers are. Like it's funny because like you sit there and it's like it's a cheaper price than it normally should be. It doesn't yep. have it. It doesn't have much of a, like a, a PSA or like any kind of authentication. It's usually something like like I said for me like the number one tell is the, the like how cheap it is. You're right. Yes. You it's get like what, the number you one. Get tell. what you pay for. Yeah. If you're gonna pay thirty dollars for like or, or even like seventy five bucks for a Mickey Mantle ball. You're getting hosed. Right. You're getting hosed. I, I always say, and that's the stuff that I use, too, for absolute memorabilia. Everything is going to be certified by a top company. It's not going to be something where there's no certification or I'm going to come up with something myself and say it's authentic. Um, or just it's that old um, way of looking at it, I guess, for me of, hey, if you're going to forge an autograph, you're going to forge a certificate of authenticity. I mean, why not? It's, yeah. it's even easier. I mean, you can go on your computer and print something up. Oh, so yeah. You need, it's the reputation that you're buying. That's why, like you said, PSA, DNA, one of the industry leaders. Uh, you're looking at JSA as one of the top ones. Beckett just recently in the past year started authenticating autographs as well, and they have some of the top authenticators in the industry too. And then you have some reputable companies, like you said, Steiner, Schwartz, mm -hmm. uh, Mounted Memories, ones where you know what you're buying is 
gonna be authentic oh yeah uh, but i would like you said stay away from stuff that's not certified or if it's from a company yeah, that yeah. you don't have more information on in the reputation because you're gonna have an item that is unfortunately is not real right and have you have you been like so there's this new trend going on online that i see that's really interesting and, and I, I think the one in particular that i'm talking about is pristine auction have you see yes. any of that stuff yes so is it just just i'm just interested is it is so if you being inside the industry and you see it working is that just like uh is that just like a dump off for companies of, of like credibility that just stuff that just isn't moving for them and it's a chance for them to maybe get rid of it at a discount price is that kind of the I, gist of it i think you've pretty much hit on it okay because because uh, you see a lot of cool items on there and they usually go for the right prices may, by the time it like the the bidding ends right but yes. then there's like some things you can buy that are like really cheap and it's like and they got the That's they got the background through. behind it the steiner background yep. and they got the schwartz stuff and it's like oh so i wonder if schwartz and steiner it's like you know what this stuff isn't moving let's just get it over to there yeah might maybe have a chance yeah something that uh i guess this is a crazy story and sometimes i don't like to share because it says how many autographs are out there but um when i was with baseball card exchange and i hosted frank thomas for a signing he was there for three hours paid to sign autographs we figured out in those three hours he signed probably 2700 autographs no way so you think about that there's a lot of baseball signed by frank thomas photos jerseys cards, whatever and um that's a lot of money when you're talking about paying these guys tens of thousands of dollars you have to recoup that money quickly sometimes and you can only sell so much at full price or you can only sell so oh, many in different avenues so i think like you said you see it on a, especially a site like pristine auction where it's a lot of those items that are okay i just have to get rid of some of this to get some money back so even though i might not be getting a whole bunch or maybe not even much over what i have into it uh you're at least getting rid of some inventory getting some revenue coming back in interesting so uh, that's crazy to think about because like yeah you're right like it makes sense that you would 2700 is insane that's an insane number it is it especially is. at like 60 to 75 dollars a pop if you start thinking about it you know yeah and, you, and there's only so much you can sell of it you're right it's crazy um not to switch gears a little bit but um so when it comes to uh memorabilia i'll be i'm just i'm just gonna throw a random question out here it's kind of con mm -hmm. conceptual so i hope that there's some story but um like you've met a lot of people that collect what's some of the coolest items you've seen Hmm, that's interesting. You know, it's for me, it's all about the the personal touch or the personal story. Because um, I get that question sometimes now, too, of especially people getting into um, collecting, um, whether it's kids or whether it's some, maybe somebody older. And they're like, what should I do? What should I really collect? And a lot of times they're looking for like an investment or something. And I always tell them, don't do that. Like, collect what you enjoy mm -hmm. like if there's a certain player a certain team um if you like signed baseballs or something like that just go ahead and do that I'm like don't go into this stuff thinking that this is like your 401k or something yeah it's it's not it might work out um but it might not so what you should really do is i think just focus on the things that um, do it because you love it you enjoy you broke my heart a couple days ago um we were so we were at a dinner party and uh, we were talking about I have I have the Kofax ball, 
and yeah. I was just checking online to see how much I could get for it or whatnot, just kind of just checking out the pricing. And I paid three hundred for it, and like the the best thing I saw was like two hundred, two twenty five. And then what was the story you told me about Kofax that you heard? Oh, about how? Well, it's a rumor. <laughs> okay, yeah, let's put that out there. <laughs> but there may yeah. there may be quite a bit of inventory of Kofax, and unfortunately, in this industry, when someone passes away, that's when things become popular, and a lot of times prices spike. Mm. So there are rumors that there are people out there that are holding on to quite a bit that once it'll pass, you'll see a lot of that stuff. And with the unique inscriptions that you were talking about, because um, he's one of those guys that's thrown a perfect game too. But a lot of times, for me, I don't realize that because I know based off of the inscription oh, yeah. of when the player adds that they threw a perfect game. And you don't see that for Sandy Koufax. No, and he's a multiple Cy Young winner. He's uh, got what, at least four to six no-hitters. Mm-hmm. Right, so like he's an accomplished pitcher. Yeah, World Series, he's won those. I know he beat the Sox in '59. So like right. he's got. I mean, it's just insane to think about like his stuff, and he just didn't sign forever. So now, I mean, like when you start talking about a vault of Kofax that's out right. there, it's like son of a bitch. You know, yeah. I'm gonna get, yeah. I'm gonna wear that one. But there's a perfect example of just doing it for the love of doing it, and not for the money. Yeah. You know, it's just right. one of those things. That actually makes me think of, here's something that I think is really cool and kind of touches on your question because I realize I haven't answered like exactly a piece. A, of a piece. Yeah. Um, but actually this could answer it here. Uh, the uh, There's this Yankees. Um, you've got Mickey Mantle and then you've got Roger Maris coming in. And Maris didn't sign much, right? And Maris didn't sign as much. Um, but even more importantly, there was that overlap between Mantle and Maris, and Mantle was the guy. I mean, he was the Babe Ruth of the, the 50s and 60s. Oh, yeah. You, if you're Roger Maris and you're playing on the Yankees, and especially hitting 61 home runs, battling Mickey Mantle, you're the underdog, and people are kind of pulling for Mickey Mantle, and he's that guy, and he's respected in the clubhouse because he's a little bit older, too. So one of the things that happened is... A lot of baseballs were being signed at that time um, by the Yankees teams, but Mickey Mantle would always be signed on the sweet spot because um, Roger Maris wasn't going to take that spot from Mickey Mantle. He knew that that's Mantle's spot, so he kind of respected that. Well, you don't also don't see as many um, individual baseballs signed because they were expensive, you know, even back then, and a lot of kids couldn't afford it. Yeah. So you see a lot of, like you said, Mickey Mantle baseball sign in the sweet spot, whether it's a team or individual. You don't see a lot of Roger Maris balls, um, partially because he passed away, I want to say, in 1985, mm-hmm. before it got popular. But if you do find, um, so if you have a Roger Maris um, ball where it's signed, let's say, with like a partial team or something like that, you might be looking at $1,000, 1200 if you have Roger Maris by himself on the sweet spot, that ball is going to be something that's going to be closer to $6,000, $7,000. Crazy. Just because, like I said, of who Mantle usually signed there. You don't see a lot with Maris by himself signed on it. Um, So actually one time I um, met a collector who he brought it in actually um, to get it authenticated by PSA DNA. And um, sure enough, he's authenticated it. Um, wanted to sell it, and I think that one ended up getting six thousand. No way, that's cool. And he had no idea. Like he's thinking Maris. Like why wouldn't you want Mantle instead? Yeah. But because of the the just rarity of it, 
Damn, um, dude. And a Mickey Mantle signed baseball goes for probably 500 oh, maybe yeah. 600 Oh, yeah. Just to kind of see the difference. Unbelievable. Did you did you ever run across any, like, Babe Ruth memorabilia or, like, uh, Josh Gibson or something crazy? You know, actually um, did come across Babe Ruth. Um, same thing, brought in to be authenticated no by way, PSA man. DNA. And the strange thing was it was a photograph that was ripped. So there was hmm. actually part of it was missing. Um, and it was personalized to someone, uh, but sure enough, is authentic Babe Ruth signature. So it doesn't really matter what it's on at oh, that yeah, point. Yeah. It, you know, it's still something that's going to be worth over a thousand dollars just because it has Babe Ruth signature on it. Oh, that's an awesome piece. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've always wanted to get. I want to get a Jordan basketball eventually, um, but I know that's going to cost a pretty penny. And I know because like he signs with directly with Upper Deck, right? Yes, he's one of those guys. So it's it, I think Tigers that way. Yep, Tiger Griffey was. was for a long time. Is he still doing that? I don't know if he. Um, I don't believe he is. Okay, so LeBron James. LeBron is James is an upper deck guy. So they got like the the pillars. Yes. Damn yes. those guys. Um, and so are you? So like now that you're getting into this point, like are you doing anything for like the holiday season wise with absolute memorabilia? Yes. One of the things that I wanted to do is find another way to work with nonprofit organizations. So I actually started up um, a program where. Um, select memorabilia will be up in the website um, for 10% off for different customers that are part of nonprofit organizations. So um, we're working with different um, ones where they'll distribute the flyers, the information to everybody um, and get 10% off for that customer and then 20% goes back to that nonprofit organization. Oh, cool. How can people find out more information about that? So absolutememorabilia.com mm-hmm. is the way to go. There's some information there on it and um, looking for uh, partners. Uh, so if you are working for an organization that's a nonprofit that wants some help fundraising for the winner, go ahead and check that out. Reach out to me and we can set that up. It's really simple, really easy. It saves you if you're buying some gifts for some people, um, your employees, coworkers, um, or just family and friends too. You can pass out the flyers to them. As long as they know the, the coupon code, they'll save 10% and you guys for your organization will get 20%. Oh, awesome. So that's so. Uh, look for that holiday wise, right? And yeah. you brought a couple goodies. We'll take a, uh, we'll take a picture of it that we'll post on Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. But you brought the Canerco autograph baseball with an awesome uh, what would you a case? But it's got the Chicago White Sox emblem, and it's got his name on the. T- it's got a what is that considered like a plaque? Like a name like plate. A, a name yeah. plate, and uh, it's got a gold glove behind it. It's really cool uh, display piece. And then you brought in something that isn't signed, but it's just more of like a piece that commemorates the World Series championship for the Cubs, right? So yeah. you brought a little bit of both. You brought signed and non-signed. Um, again, I know I, I've known Peter for. Uh, I want to say we first met around three years ago, but. Um, I always run into you at these, these networking events, so it's always awesome to have them in here. And uh, Is there anything else you want to add? Or No, I think um, kind of covered a lot of stuff. I realize I have so many stories and so many things to yeah, share because yeah. my head's just going through all this stuff. <laughs> when we talk about it, it's crazy. It is, man. I mean, yeah. being in your stature, like your position is really cool because it's got that inside look, man. And uh, there's got to be a way. Like I would love to do that. That like kind of like that um, piece of the game kind of vibe for like local two one nine of people who have like are local that have cool stuff that they're not sure what to do right. and like kind of just get it appraised. I think it would be awesome. So yeah, I'm we'll looking, looking at opening up um, a retail location in Crown Point 
um, something small, but something to be able to do that where people can bring in on a Saturday, we'll advertise it, bring in your memorabilia to be evaluated, whether it's sports cards, autographs, um, heck, if it's World Series rings, memorabilia like that, bring it in and can let you know what it might be worth. Um, So that's something that looking forward to doing uh, down the road. Awesome. Well, work on that once we uh, get that set up, but hopefully in 2018, we'll have a retail location too for absolute memorabilia. Cool, man. Well, uh, Peter, thank you for coming in. It's truly been a pleasure. I know it was, uh, you've done, you did me a favor doing that. So, uh, thank you so much. And again, uh, if you want to find out more information about Peter, it's absolutememorabilia.com. Um, can you, do you have like your social media platforms as well that you want to plug? Yes. Uh, Facebook, same thing. Absolute memorabilia. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, Twitter and Instagram, I'm not, as much on that i'm like there's so many different social media pieces to do i know man i've been so (laughs) going through this like whole process for local 209 it's like i've been taking on like the entire uh social media stuff of it man it's insane i had no idea how much time that was until recently yeah and then it's four hours repetitive because you're like i'm posting it here here and here and here it's mindless yeah but that's why i tell people i'm like get to um go to the website but then reach out to me um, especially if you're a nonprofit and you're looking to raise funds, which everyone is, um, we can sit down, reach out to me, send me an email, give me a call. We'll sit down. We can talk about ways where we can help you raise money. And that's how I've built the most successful relationships. Awesome. I don't need that social media stuff for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I hope we'll have you back. Um, uh, thanks again for coming by. Uh, for me, uh, you can follow us at Local219 on Facebook, uh, Local219 on Instagram, and then Local underscore 219 on uh Twitter. Uh, I know we've been getting a lot of feedback about our podcast being on SoundCloud, so we're looking into moving that over to iTunes. Um, so hopefully that'll, that change will happen soon. There is a new component this week that I want you to pay attention to, but you're going to hear this on Friday. But there will be a video tomorrow that will be being released uh, of this conversation. Um, so that's pretty cool. Hopefully you saw that if you're listening now. Um, Peter, again, thank you so much for coming by. And yep. then uh, we'll uh, talk to you later. All right, thank you.